Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. There, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. And yes, parenting your challenging child is on the air today. We've had a few missed programs lately, but um, my co-host Susie and I are on the air again, and we've got lots of questions lined up. Susie, how are you today? Good, thank you. How are you? I am well. Um, We had a 39-degree day here in Portland, Maine yesterday, which um, made us all feel like there is hope, but we are back in the teens today. This is Fahrenheit, mind you, not Celsius, for those of us who are listening internationally. Um, So there's hope that um, we will not be cold forever. I'm sure you feel the same way in upstate New York. At minus two degrees, yes. There you go. And that's Fahrenheit as well. We just don't want our Celsius listeners to think that we are less cold than we really are. We're cold, I promise. (laughs) Um, But we've got lots of email lined up today to respond to. um, And we also, um, good day for people to call in. And that number is 347-994-2981. Shall we get started with some of the email? Sure. Here's one. Um, And this is a poignant one, not that the rest of them aren't, but um, here we go. This one comes from Norway. (laughs) Uh, My 13-year-old is not living at home because he was threatening both his own and my life. We have been in a very difficult family situation for a long time. My husband has been verbally abusive to me and our eldest son. After I left, he was able, he told my son that I'm the reason for most of the things that have gone wrong, which is true in some ways, but not to the extent he said. I really wish I had the book The Explosive Child a long time ago. I have done too much Plan C, and then everybody else tried me to get me to do Plan A and told me the reason why things weren't working was because I did it in the wrong way, and so I tried over and over, but it never worked with my son. It worked with his younger brother. Um, I know that he has many lagging skills, and he told me several times that he could not do what I asked him. It was not because he didn't want to. He is very good at expressing his concerns and problems. He is very verbal, so that is not a problem. His anger is. My 13-year-old son has no trust that things will ever get better and that I will ever be able to change. 
When I have tried to talk with him, he would only tell me I never understand him. I am a, and he swears and calls me terrible names, I have ruined his life. It is my fault that he has few friends, that he is not as good at his things as the others at school. The blaming goes on and on, and then he swears at me and tells me to leave him alone. I'm getting a few ideas of how to deal with some of these outbursts, but do you have more input as to how to deal with a child who is just so mad at you that they just don't want to talk to you at all? Sometimes it is possible for me to joke with him about non-important things together, but if we get close to anything meaningful to him, it starts over again. It may end with him trying to hit me and so forth, so for the time being, we are not together alone. I am sure that if I had known about your program, uh, he would have been at home now and we would have been able to work things through. Unhappy but hopeful mom in Norway. Like I said, um, that's a poignant one. Mm -hmm. But let's see if we can help this mom out a little bit. Um, Where to begin? Well, first of all, you want to weigh on in this one first, or you want me to weigh in first? Um, why don't you go first? All right. My first thought is that um, it's really, this mom is saying many things that many parents of behaviorally challenging kids say. So uh, the first thing I want the mom to know is that she's not alone She's not alone in having a uh, ex-husband who blames her. She's not alone in feeling that there are some things she could have done differently. She's not alone in feeling that she may have been doing too much plan C because plan A was not exactly her cup of tea. Um she is not alone in having a child who blames her for things that are going wrong in his life. And she's not alone in having a kid who's having difficulty talking with her about the important stuff. So first thing, mom, you're not alone. Some of these things are not so unusual. But I totally get why that package of things is making mom as unhappy as it's making her. This is not a pleasant scenario. Um, Mom may need someone to do some blocking for her in the talking with her son department. I don't know. So it may be that mom needs a mediator, a mental health professional or a counselor who can grease the skids for her child to begin talking with her about unsolved problems. That's a possibility. I don't know. Um, It sounds like things are pretty bad, but here's what I don't know from what mom has written. I don't know, and I'm going to get real, I get that the scenario as it presently exists and as it has existed for a while isn't good. But I've seen many not good scenarios start to correct pretty dramatically. I was about to say quickly, but I'd rather say dramatically because I suspect mom is in this for the long haul and that um, this is going to take a while. 
But I sure have seen things begin to move in the right direction pretty dramatically when we have a list of lagging skills and unsolved problems and when we're trying to talk with the child who has basically written us off, when we begin talking with that child about specific unsolved problems, when we've prioritized those unsolved problems, when we show how well we can listen, I've seen things turn around and not necessarily needing the help of a third party. And so, um, as always, while I don't know whether this mom's going to need somebody to help her out with this or not, I always go back to the basics because it's the basics that I see having these very curative properties. Nothing gets kids talking like not talking with them about their behavior, like not talking with about everything, but talking with them about specific unsolved problems that we've prioritized and showing how curious we are and using those drilling strategies on the Lives in the Balance website so that we can show that we're really listening and that we're really curious and that we're really gathering information well. Is that going to be enough to get them all all the way there? I have no idea. Um, Will she know if she needs a third party to help her out without starting there? I think not. Susie, I bet you have some more thoughts to add to all of that, though. Um, I was thinking that blaming doesn't really do any good and to focus on what you can do something about, which is the lagging skills and the unsolved problems. And um, the great thing about the model is is that it does give you hope um, when things aren't going so well. Um, I know in our family's experience, um, things were not good, and we did need a neutral party um, to, um, you know, use as a mouthpiece for our son because he had given up talking to us and um, the way in which our family communicated was less than ideal. Um, But, you know, I I also said that um, it, it is a process and that you you just try and work so hard to uh slide plan B into the conversation on a daily basis um it's not easy but but if you just keep working at it i know you know it's it's hard to find that strength within yourself but um good for her that that she's read the book and that she's trying and um i think that if she continues to um work very hard at it um he'll come around 
I also want to let anybody who's listening from Norway, this mom, of course, especially, know that um, we are working hard to certify providers in Norway in the CPS model. And so there will be more resources in Norway soon, hopefully by the middle of this year, 2015. And we are also working hard to make sure that there are more free web-based resources specifically in Norwegian for people in Norway, doing the same thing for Sweden and Denmark. Um, And so um, more coming. But in the meantime, uh, Mom, let's get you your list of unsolved problems. Let's see what happens if you try talking with your son about one of them and drilling well and being really curious and listening really well. And if your son uh, has written you off completely, then you probably are going to need somebody to help mediate this for you, but maybe not. We wish you the best of luck, obviously. Let's see if we have any callers. I think we don't the last time I looked. Once again, that number, 347-994-2981. Let's move on to another email, shall we? Sure. You know, it um, can be... I've been in this business a long time, and um, it's always a reminder. It's, It's easy when you read a lot of emails like this and work with a lot of people, to go a little numb and to habituate to the pain. And yet, uh, anybody who works and lives with behaviorally challenging kids, um, we're on the hook for making sure we don't suffer from compassion fatigue. Uh, There's a lot of very difficult stories out there. Um, They all deserve our compassion because um, if we lose our compassion, um, well, we may not hear them, and we certainly won't feel their pain. So here's another email. Uh, Dear Dr. Green, this one's to me, but that doesn't mean you can't uh, respond, Susie. A lot of these come to me, but that's okay. Someday these are going to start saying, Dear Dr. Green and Susie. I've been enthusiastically reading your book, The Explosive Child, and it makes a lot of sense to me. My only question is related to the implementation of Plan B because my little explosive child is only four years old. She's super smart, a characteristic that every person that gets to know her notices. But I think perhaps involving her so much in how to solve the problems could be a little overwhelming for her. Plus, her concentration is not that long yet to be able to uh, have a serious conversation last for that long. Instinctively, I've been doing something similar in some situations, but in the heat of the moment and not proactively. But I've been offering her alternatives. This has not worked at all. Please let me know. How can I use Plan B for my four-year-old girl? Should I modify something? All the best, and thanks in advance for your reply. Well, you're welcome in advance. I have a feeling this one came from a foreign country as well. I just don't know which one. Um, Well, Susie, you want to take that one? You want me to start? I'm happy to start if you want me to. Uh, Sure. If you want to start, that would be great. 
Um, I don't know if the reason the four-year-old girl is having difficulty hanging in there for the conversation is because she's four years old or because her concentration is not that great yet. The truth is there are some four-year-olds who can hang in there for the conversation. And um, they, a lot of four-year-olds who really kind of dig it. So I don't know, not knowing this four-year-old, if the fact that you are involving her so much in how to solve the problems could be a little overwhelming, or if it's her concentration. Um, what I typically do for a four-year-old is my language would be a little bit different. Um, and we might have to do it in chunks if the concentration of the four-year-old isn't long enough to hang in there. But I work with 17-year-olds that I have to chunk it for because their concentration isn't long enough to hang in there for that long either. So I don't think that's the four-year-old part. Although I would say that at least on the aggregate, most 17-year-olds have better concentration, at least in terms of duration, than most four-year-olds. But that part doesn't matter that much. We're talking about this four-year-old, in which case we may have to do it in different chunks. We'll go as long as this four-year-old can go, and then we'll pick it up another time. The part that's interesting is I'm hearing that she's very verbal, so it doesn't sound super smart, which in four-year-olds often means very verbal. Um, so I'm not positive what's overwhelming her, but I guess I'm just going to go back to the basics as I always do. One thing I don't know, is uh, she able to put her concerns on the table about a very specific unsolved problem? Is she able to pinpoint what her concerns are? So now, once again, staying basic, I hope we're not talking with her about the behavior. One thing this mom did write in her email is that she's been trying to do this in the heat of the moment. That could be a major issue as well. Lots of kids can put their concerns on the table proactively, but they can't put their concerns on the table in the heat of the moment because they're in the heat of the moment. Is our four-year-old girl here able to listen to your concerns outside of the heat of the moment in the define adult concerns step? Is she able to brainstorm solutions that take the concerns of both parties into account? So I guess... I would be better able to answer the question if I knew the mom was working on unsolved problems and not behaviors, if I knew mom was doing this proactively and not emergently, and then if mom let me know if both of those things were true, where in plan B, on which of the three steps, it looked like her daughter was becoming overwhelmed. So that, of course, is me going technical and basic, um, what do you think, Susie? Um, I was going to suggest the um, making an appointment with her daughter, which I'm sure the child would really like and enjoy, um, 15 minutes a day, even just that small amount of time, and working, you know, on whatever unsolved problem there is. Um, and to get creative with her thinking as to ways to reach her child on her daughter's level. Good. Um, no calls yet. 
Let's move on to another email. This is an interesting one. Okay. Uh, it's a brief one, but I think it's um, well. I think that it has. It's got. It's a big question, even though it's a brief question. Uh, been using the CPS model for the past few months with my 12-year-old boy. It has helped. However, I wonder how to introduce boundaries and consequences and how to gain control back in home. Uh, boy is diagnosed oh, with ADHD and Tourette's. So, um, two sentences. Sorry, I'm, I misled you. It's two sentences, not one. And, of course, um, so uh, the, the big words there are boundaries, consequences, gain control back. And um, I'm happy to have you respond to that one first, if you wish. I'm also happy to take it. Your call. Sure. Um, I'll try. I think that you gain control um, by using the model and you're working together with your child um, and not imposing your will over your child. Um, you uh, consequences aren't aren't going to help in this situation. They frequently. I apologize for the beeping on the other line. Um, we can't hear it. Oh, good. Um, um that consequences that you never really come to understand that the that it won't come that the um child won't understand them um i think that the child doesn't necessarily have to care about your concern but they have to take it into consideration and that's how you teach and use the model in that way. I think it's always interesting that people equate boundaries and consequences. I've always been fascinated by that because um, boundaries to me basically means setting limits. Um, letting the kid know there are some things he can't do, some things you want him to do, um, having expectations, letting your kid know that he's having difficulty meeting certain expectations, um, trying to help him out when he's having difficulty meeting expectations. Consequences are a way of reminding your kid that you have expectations, but by no means the only way to remind your kid that you have certain expectations. You don't need a consequence to remind a kid that you have expectations. You can just remind him without a consequence. So what consequences mostly do is they give the kid the incentive to meet certain expectations that the kid is having difficulty meeting. Um, but in every kid who's having difficulty meeting expectations, that kid is also meeting 
certain expectations. So no kid is not meeting all of them. Every kid is meeting some and not others. And now we have to ask ourselves, what's getting in the way on the ones that the kid is having difficulty meeting? If the answer is he's not motivated to meet the expectations he's having difficulty meeting, uh, adult-imposed consequences would make perfect sense. But if the answer is he would actually very much like to be meeting some of the expectations he's having difficulty meeting, but he's lacking the skills. And that's what the research of the last 40 to 50 years tells us about behaviorally challenging kids. They're lacking skills. Consequences don't help the kid meet expectations that he's lacking the skills to meet. Consequences only give the kid the incentive to meet those expectations. Um, many adults, when the con original consequences aren't getting the job done, add more, add more potent, cons persuasive, adult-imposed consequences. Often, by the way, losing sight of the fact that there are very potent, persuasive, natural consequences that are already in place that are the reason that the kid has the incentive to meet the expectations he's having difficulty meeting. And so what happens over time in a kid who's having difficulty meeting expectations is if the natural consequences aren't getting the job done and the adults simply continue imposing unnatural artificial consequences on top of the natural ones, slowly but surely, the incentive the kid has to even try to meet expectations starts to diminish because he couldn't do it in the first place and now he's just getting hammered. But if we view this as lagging skills, now we've got a different approach, one that is aimed at helping the kid, figuring out why the kid is having difficulty meeting the expectations. That's, of course, the empathy step of plan B letting the kid know why we feel it's important to meet that expectation, what our concerns are, how the unsolved problem is affecting the kid, how the unsolved problem is affecting other people, and then solving it together as teammates, as partners. Now, that was a very long-winded way of my saying, you are most assuredly introducing boundaries when you are using plan B. You're just not doing it with adult-imposed consequences, and you are not equating consequences with boundaries. They are completely different. Consequences are a way to help parents achieve boundaries and limit setting, but not the only way. And thank goodness, the research is telling us that Setting boundaries, setting limits, um, you are just as effective in setting limits when you're solving problems collaboratively as when you are imposing consequences. That's a uh, very heartening finding for parents who feel guilty that they aren't imposing consequences because it makes their life a living hell when they do. That's how 
going back to an earlier email, that's how parents end up doing a lot of plan C because doing plan A makes their life a living hell. Luckily, there's another option for introducing boundaries and setting limits. It's called plan B. The other Susie, thing, any Dr. further thoughts on that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, because the model is focused on lagging skills and unsolved problems, it leads people to be more compassionate and to say to themselves, no wonder what we've been doing hasn't been working and how we can now set things up so we can start helping the child. You know, um, one way to... Uh, combat compassion fatigue is to um, possess knowledge that helps one be more compassionate. And I find that viewing behaviorally challenging kids through the prism of lagging skills helps people be more compassionate. But the other thing that helps people be more compassionate is the empathy step of Plan B, where we find out what's really been getting in the kid's way. And um, I've often said this on this program, that's when I see people, adults, you know, caregivers, having most of their jaw-dropping moments because it is at that moment that they discover that what they thought was getting in the kid's way, why they thought the kid was having difficulty meeting an expectation, is not what was getting in the kid's way, is not what was keeping the kid from meeting the expectation. A um, lot of compassion in the empathy step as well. That's right. You're you're listening. You're not lessening. Indeed. Let's. Um, this is a long email, but very much worth it. I think that this mom is raising some very interesting questions. So here we go because we don't have any callers today. I think that often when we miss a program, as we did last week, mm-hmm. we don't have callers the next week. That's our punishment. Um, this next one starts with help. I've been using a behavior plan with my 12-year-old son who's diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorders to address some of the behaviors he is continuously exhibiting. I just heard about the ALSIP and the CPS program today. I recognize that I have habitually been using Plan A in desperation. I understand now that Plan A begets more challenging behavior with challenging kids. I have two questions. Question number one. How do I transition out of using the reward and punishment model, which I suppose is plan A, that's correct, to using um, the CPS proactive plan B instead? If the anxious behaviors are an indication that he's already triggered, right now it feels next to impossible to find a time to be proactive instead of reactive. That's question number one. Question number two. Is putting out fires related to triggers to my son's anxiety different than teaching him skills to solve each unsolved problem one at a time? The quick answer, yes, but we'll keep going here. In other words, is it correct to view each trigger to anxious behaviors as an equivalent to an unsolved problem? The answer, yes. 
For example, we are accustomed to referring to the expectation that he write a personal narrative about an event that happened over his vacation as a trigger to anxious behaviors, such as rude and disrespectful language and an inability to complete the assignment. Mom, you've got it exactly right. Would the unsolved problem here be difficulty completing the writing assignment? I would actually make the unsolved problem, I'm answering the question early here, difficulty writing a personal narrative about an event that happened over your vacation. That's more specific. The other wording is clumped and refers to all writing assignments. I'll promise we'll go back to questions one and two, but let's get that one out of the way. If he's having difficulty completing lots of different writing assignments, you don't want to clump that one. You want to split it and difficulty writing a personal narrative about an event that happened over your vacation is a very specific unsolved problem. Identifying this as the unsolved problem doesn't help me know which or how many lagging skills to address at once. There could be as many as four or six skills lagging here. If learning disabilities have been ruled out and a processing disorder doesn't exist and it has been extrapolated down to anxiety being the mitigating factor and limiting his performance on tasks, which skills do we teach first? They must be related to his executive functions of some sort, right? told you this was a long one, but I'm going to keep going. I'd love some help defining clearly some of the problems and prioritizing which ones to tackle first. I've been putting lots of things in Plan C, and that seems really powerful to diffuse some of the power struggles that are a major result of using Plan A for far too long. Good. That's a good thing to know. Even when I begin to analyze a situation, it doesn't seem like a clear unsolved problem I could approach later. Here's a few. So here's one. I've noticed it was difficult for you to say hello tonight when you got home. What's up? I get stuck on where to go from there. Yeah, you didn't say hello to me first. You looked at me and then went back to your computer. Tell me about why that was hard for you. You don't care. So you feel like I don't care when I don't say hello to you. I'm not talking to you about this. Forget it. You don't care. And then the kid walks away. I think I slipped into judgment here and it further escalated his behavior. Clearly in need of some guidance. Hope you can help. Mom, I think we can help, but we've got a lot of questions here to answer. So I think let's start at the top, shall we? Sure. First of all, how do you transition out of using the reward and punishment model? You do it. You make your list of lagging skills. You make your list of unsolved problems with the ALSUP, which is on the Lives in the Balance website, as your guide. Um, you prioritize the unsolved problems you want to start working on first, so pick one, two, three, and then start doing plan B proactively. So the answer to how do you move out of what you were doing into what you would like to be doing instead is just do it, borrowing from a famous sportswear <laughs> company. But here's number two. Putting out fires is emergent. Solving problems proactively is how you get out of the business of putting out fires. So yes, it is correct 
to think of the expectations that are triggering anxious behaviors or the um, situations that are triggering anxious behaviors as the equivalent to an unsolved problem. That's perfect. And the unsolved problem that we just discussed earlier, difficulty um, getting, hold on, where is it? Difficulty writing a personal narrative about an event that happened over your vacation is a great example of that. If that's triggering anxious behaviors, such as rude and disrespectful language and an inability to complete the assignment, that's great. What you want to do is take a look at every situation, every expectation that's causing your son to become anxious. Those are your unsolved problems. Behavior, as I always say, is just the signal, just the mechanism by which your son communicates that there is an expectation he's having difficulty meeting or a situation that he's struggling in. That's the level of analysis that you want to be at. Now, here's a big point of confusion for many people. Most lagging skills can't be taught directly because there is no technology for teaching most lagging skills directly, at least the lagging skills that are on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. There are technologies for teaching some lagging skills. Some social skills can be taught directly. Some language processing and communication skills can be taught directly. Um, kids can receive extra help in reading and writing and math if they are lacking skills or struggling in those areas. But as it relates to the skills that are required for being flexible and adaptable and um, dealing well with frustration and solving problems, uh, the skills that are listed on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, most of those aren't going to be taught explicitly and directly. They're going to be taught indirectly. How are they going to be taught indirectly? By solving problems collaboratively and proactively. Thus, the name of the model, Collaborative and Proactive Solutions, CPS. That's how most of the skills are going to get taught. Now, here's the one last part that um, I think I can help out with. I'm seeing it said that learning disabilities have been ruled out and a processing disorder doesn't exist. And anxiety has been boiled down as the primary mitigating factor. Um, but then in the very next sentence, it says they must be related to his executive skills, right? Hmm. I um, have never met this kid, and so I'm going out on a limb here, and that's, of course, the disadvantage and the caveat to us providing guidance on this program. We're doing it for kids we've never met and only providing guidance on how to use the model. But um, So the guidance provided on this program, as it says on the website, is not a substitute for professional help. I'm not so sure that it boils down to just anxiety. Um, so it's always interesting. I'm always trying to figure out when I've got my clinician's hat on, is, this, is the anxiety primary or is the anxiety secondary? 
and it looks like um, some things have been ruled out as factors that could be making it difficult for this boy to complete certain tasks. What I don't know is how well they've been ruled out or how comprehensively they've been ruled out. And what I also don't know is is how we're talking about difficulty with executive skills, but also saying that lagging skills have been ruled out. So I, um, that's the part of this that um, I'm a little confused about and that I myself would like a little bit more clarity on. The interesting thing is, um, this kid's having difficulty across the board on lots of things. While that could be mere generalized anxiety, I must say, I don't see that that often. And so my biggest recommendation is uh, if this mom wants to be in touch and send along how we came to the conclusion that it's only the anxiety and that there's nothing else getting in the way, I'm happy to take a look at it and see if I agree. Um, Right now, I'm a little skeptical. All right, so that's long email, and now I've been long-winded in responding to it. Susie, I'm betting you have some things to add. Um, The mom was asking about helping to prioritize, um, and I think you usually say, Dr. Green, severity first um, and then frequency. Um, Safety is always of paramount importance, Um, but after that, um, maybe that would help to... uh, prioritize the one, two, or three unsolved problems. Um, And I guess the other thing that I just, I can't help but stress is just letting the child know that you're doing something with him, not to him. Good. We have about three minutes left, and um, I received an email from someone asking if the op-ed that I talked about on the last radio program for the New York Times got published. The answer is no. Um, I'm going to read it right now because we've got three minutes left, and that's not enough time to answer a question, but it is enough time, I hope, for me to read this. that okay with you, Susie? Absolutely. Here it is. About five months ago, when it became public that Adrian Peterson, the American football player, was found to have taken a switch to the leg of his four-year-old son, many people expressed appropriate alarm and disapproval. His skills at eluding tacklers, notwithstanding Mr. Peterson's subsequent comments and defending his actions, suggested a glaring blind spot and fueled the fury. The story disappeared from public consciousness fairly rapidly, of course. But last week, and this was, of course, now three weeks ago, Pope Francis hinted, though it's not clear that it was his intent to take a strong stand on the matter, that smacking a kid is a dignity-preserving method of discipline, so long as the smack is not delivered to a child's face. This new instance of potential tone deafness, however, offers hope. This pope has demonstrated his deep humanity and willingness to break with the church's traditional stances on many issues, 
If it is possible to enlighten him about the damage done by corporal punishment and the futility of this senseless and ineffective approach to disciplining children, then there is the chance to change things for the better for the millions of children worldwide who are on the receiving end of misguided aggression from their caregivers and to recognize that such aggression cannot possibly be an act of parental love or credible parental guidance. The kids need you to come through, Holy Father. UNICEF estimates that one billion kids experience physical punishment regularly. There are also data telling us that about two-thirds of American parents still approve of spankings and that corporal punishment is still legal and practiced in the public schools of 19 American states and administered an average of 230,000 times per school year. But personal preferences and obsolete policies can no longer be the primary factors governing the treatment of our children. The research that has accumulated over the last 40 to 50 years should be far more influential. Research in other fields has produced dramatic improvements in cancer detection and treatment, disease prevention, organ transplants, air travel, and automobile safety, and so forth. The time is exactly right for a venerated, influential public figure to pay attention to the research on hitting and child-rearing and simply state the obvious. Adults should not hit kids under any circumstances. In most kids of child abuse, in most cases of child abuse, the parent intended to punish the child. By giving a green light to physical punishment, the Pope is increasing the risk for all children. In American education, this is going to go longer than the program, but luckily the recording goes on longer, so some people are going to get cut off here. They'll have to listen to the archive. In American education law, one of the most important legal principles for handling students with special needs is that they be placed in what is known as the least restrictive environment. This means that a student who has a disability should have the opportunity to be educated with non-disabled peers to the greatest extent appropriate, should have access to the general education curriculum or any other program that non-disabled peers would be able to access, and should be provided with supplementary aids and services necessary to achieve educational goals if placed in a setting with non-disabled peers. Amazingly, there is no similar legal standard for guiding the manner in which caregivers teach children about right and wrong. There are proven research-based methods for teaching right and wrong that don't harm the child or model the opposite of what we want them to learn. Those methods should be the standard of care for raising kids. In other words, similar to the least restrictive environment standard for students in special education, there should be a least toxic response standard for the treatment of children. Perhaps the most important finding from the research that has accumulated over the last 40 to 50 years is that kids who have behavioral challenges, not coincidentally the ones most likely to be on the receiving end of punishment, are lacking crucial cognitive skills in domains such as flexibility, frustration tolerance, and problem solving. These kids are already aware of the behavioral expectations of their caregivers. What they need help with is learning these skills and solving the problems that are being caused by those lagging skills. Neither spanking nor smacking teaches skills or solves problems, nor do detentions, suspensions, expulsions, or paddling. We are heartened by the news that the 17-member Vatican Commission on Sexual Abuse announced that it would be making recommendations to the papacy on protecting children from corporal punishment. Pope Francis, nothing would be a better expression of your humanity 
nor more impactful for the children of the world than a strong statement from you on the ways in which adults should treat kids. Rather than fading from our collective consciousness, this could be the start of something really good. I think I'll post that in the What's New section on the Lives in the Balance website. We'll call it the op-ed that the New York Times didn't publish. (laughs) What a powerful message and beautifully written. Thank you. On that note, we're going to call it a day. Susie, thanks as always for doing this. You're welcome. Take care. We'll uh, do this again next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere where even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.